This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Pray for me also that words may be given me that I will fearfully make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. I like that verse and hold on to it because it reminds me what is most important. And and it asks for help to remember to do that and how important the words that I say are. Well, good morning. Oh, good. <laughs> I thought I'd start my sermon by just showing a 40-minute slideshow of my children. I thought, what a perfect way to spend a Sunday morning, right? I'll just show you some pictures of my kids. Uh, This is Josiah. Um, He's three now. Uh, This kid is ridiculously strong. He's, he's very small for his age, but uh, the muscle mass in his upper arms is crazy. This kid bench presses things. He, um, he climbs on pretty much anything, and Michelle and I are always very concerned about what trouble he gets into. Just yesterday, he was literally charging at me, just filled with so much energy, and just like smacking his head against my body. He doesn't care what's happening to him. He just thinks it's hilarious. So th- this guy, I, I would expect everyone to go, oh, he, he cannot be stopped. This is, this is him at the beach, and this is him three seconds later. Now, what an adorable photo, so of course I stop and take the picture, but he is completely immobilized. He, he cannot, he is crying and sobbing, and I don't know if you know what it's over, but it's, you see his shoe? See his shoe? That, that shoe has sand on it. Life is over. Life is over for him, and he can't seem to move forward. He's so distraught that he can't do anything. Um, I feel like we get like this sometimes, right? Um, Because you know that the sand can't actually stop him from doing anything. You just shake it off and keep going, right? Or don't even worry about it. Um, it, But for him, it, it hindered him so much that he just stood still and cried. And how often do you think God has looked at us like that? How often do you think God has looked at us like a father who just wanted us to see that he's got it? Because all I wanted for my son was to realize, like, hey, hey, this this can't stop you. This can't do it. Now, I'm not diminishing sin when I say this. I'm talking about wallowing in weakness. So much so that we're incapable of recognizing God's redemptive plan that can cover over it. I've noticed my son has uh, started to take on this pattern. Uh, Josiah, I'm sure most of you know his, his story, uh, but Josiah was born premature. He was about uh, a month and a week born premature. And um, the, the week before he was born, uh, the, the doctors pulled us in and told us that he was going to have to have heart surgery immediately when he was born. And they were preparing us for this. And we said, okay, great. We have about a month and a, and a week to kind of prep this. And we start processing this. And then suddenly Michelle's immediately going into labor. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But then what happens from that point still blows my mind to this day. So only a week has gone by, and I remember six doctors standing around us, and this crazy moment happens where they they rush him away. Michelle doesn't even really get to see him, and they rush him away into another room, and I'm there with him, and then hours go by, 
And we're going to do a couple more tests. Hours go by. And I'm just thinking to myself, why aren't we starting now? They warned us that this was such a serious thing. The doctors sit down and they, they start talking to us and they say, look, we did a couple more tests, we did more ultrasounds, and there is nothing wrong with his heart. It's as if he has a new heart. Now, if you don't know the rest of part of the story, my dad's on a mission trip at this time. Word got out to him finally because of delay. But they hear this, and a, and a tribe prays over my son. And they say, this is the words that they say, God, just give him a new heart. Now, I, I try to trip up my doctor, right, and say, no, 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 come on, tell me how this happened. Give me more details. And they're just like, for legal reasons or for whatever, they just said, look, we, we don't know, right? And, and I'm left with that. Now, isn't it great? That's such a great story, right, of how God is taking care of things. He heals, and there's miracles. But for Josiah, like, his life cannot just be this story. It, his life is continuing on. And so it, it'd be nice if it just ended there. But for Josiah, uh, he's already gotten himself into more struggle, uh, more places of weakness. Uh, for Josiah, he's so behind right now in his speech. They're having a speech therapist, and they're, and they're working with him. And I've noticed, again, this pattern where Josiah is, um, every time he notices he's weak, every time he notices that he can't communicate to us the way that he knows he should, or every time he does something wrong, he immediately becomes like that picture, and he runs into his bedroom, and he puts himself in the corner. Oh, it's it's terrible, I know. As a dad, I just sit there, and I want to be like, I go find him in his room, and I'm just like, come on. We can work through this. We can get through this. I'm praying that he will find and come to understand what God's grace really is. For so many of us, we've been living with a weakness that blinds us from seeing the value of his grace. We may have a good understanding of it, but we have not yet assessed its worth. Now, for my daughter... (laughs) She doesn't put herself in time out. It's a lot bigger of a struggle. This is Noelle. Ooh, she's six. I'm probably already getting in trouble for talking about my daughter this way. Um, Look, a while back, my daughter was having the biggest uh, out-of-character moment where she was treating others poorly, she's treating herself poorly, and timeouts just weren't working. So I thought, as a creative person that I am, that I would innovate the timeout, that I would mix it up and change it up a little bit. So... I pulled her in. I told her, look, what you're doing is harming others, it's harming yourself, and it's wrong. And then I told her, but I love you very, very much. And then I knelt down into a corner, and I put myself right there like this. And <clears throat> at first, I got the right, right reactions. My daughter's like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I will be taking your time out for you. And my, my daughter immediately is like, Daddy, no, <laughs> Right? That soon passed. <laughs> so we're, we were in, a, in a, a back room, and she runs off. And there I am, sitting in the corner, <laughs> staring at a wall. Meanwhile, Michelle comes into the living room, and lo and behold, she discovers Noelle watching television. Where's Daddy, she asks. Oh, he's in time out. Michelle walks into the room. She kind of like pokes her head behind the corner and she's like, how do you think this is going? <laughs> now in my head, this made so much sense 
and I know I've been teased a lot for this, but you, you have to understand, I had such good intentions, right? I just, I wanted to have a moment where there were consequences and grace and those two things to combine together. I was hoping for gratitude. That grace would change an attitude, right? But let me tell you, that's a lot to ask for a toddler. It really is. But for my daughter, something was missing. See, I actually figured this out later. See, for her, there was no sense of separation. In her head, there were no stakes. There was no affinitive consequences. For her, I was still in the other room, and there was no weight of loss. She could come back and see me. She could interact with me. The relationship was still intact. See, I think the problem was it's a, it's a value issue. See, where my son valued grace but couldn't apply it, here my daughter didn't consider its true worth. We can lack the value of mercy because we do not value the stakes. We don't consider what could be lost. All right, let's quickly look at a basic understanding. Um, I do this one with the high schoolers all the time. So sin, in its basic definition, sin is to go away against, or go away from God, or go against God. A lot of times people mistake it for just breaking the rules or the law, but the law reveals sin, right? Uh, it's more than that. But sin is to move. It's an action away from God's character. It's to move away from his holiness, his righteousness. And the penalty for sin is death. And death means to be without God. The penalty is a natural consequence. If I'm going to move away from God, if I move over here, my natural consequences is that I have naturally gotten further away from him. And eventually, I will find myself removed from his presence. If I go the opposite way of him, I have physically moved over somewhere else, and I will experience this word, separation. Have we taken the time to consider what's at stake here? Death is a very scary thing. Now, all week I've been praying that there'd be enough, enough volunteers in uh, the, the children's ministry so that I didn't have to have this sermon in front of them. But for some weird reason, when they asked me to preach, and I had unlimited, like, what's your favorite passage? For some reason, I chose death. <laughs> and I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, look, there, there are two things that are certain. Death and taxes. Which one do you worry about more? <laughs> right? Taxes come every year. Death is kind of final. (laughs) Um, People are obsessed with avoiding death. But death is inevitable, and it's unavoidable. You know, a weird way to put it, but it's our greatest weakness is death. As Christians, we know that death has been defeated, that Christ has overcome death. But just because Jesus has overcome death doesn't mean we get to avoid it. In fact, we shouldn't. It's important that we don't. If you thought, I'll become a Christian, so that way I never have to deal with death, think again. Because actually, for a Christian, you actually have to die twice. The first one is a spiritual death, but the other one is still a physical one. Spiritual death, number one, is the death of self, the worship of ourselves, and the surrender of our lives over a life devoted to Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And in that, 
Christ declares that we are made into a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has taken form. But number two, the physical is still ever-present and real. See, Jesus asks us to pick up our cross and follow him. And sometimes we hear that statement and we think it means like the burden, to take on the burden of his name. But we forget where Jesus said this in the timeline. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose, whoever loses his life for me finds it. Jesus said this command before he ever walked, before he ever took place on everything, anything took place on Calvary. We are to pick up our cross and follow Jesus to his death. <clears throat> Jesus invites us to his death because he is also inviting us into his resurrection. I'm going to read this passage from um, <clears throat> Romans in verse, chapter 6, verse 3 and 5. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I think it's one thing to talk about this and another one where uh, we're faced with the ramifications of it, when we actually have this very obstacle in front of us. So pay close attention because everything I've said up to this point now has all been the setup. Um, because it all ties into my favorite passage. I have just a disclaimer real quick first. This is not my favorite passage. I'm not 100% sure that I even have one, but the thing is, is that when I look at this passage, when I start to study it, I can't help but be impacted by it. And when I understand the truth behind it, the implications of this passage I cannot deny nor refute, the transformation that should follow, which is what all these passages should be for us, right? And we embrace God's word. These favorite verses aren't just markers of words that help us through hard times. They're not just a collection of nice phrases. These are the very words of the living God. And we should approach his word with eager, we should be eager to be transformed. Jesus once asked his disciples after speaking a hard truth and watching others walk away from him, what about you? He said to his disciples, what about you? Will you leave too? Peter immediately quickly said, well, where am I going to go? Now that I know what I know, now that I know truth, where am I going to go? Why would I leave? You hold the keys to the kingdom. So as we read these words, I want us to prepare ourselves to to receive them and be transformed. So if you can turn to your Bibles, um, to Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. I'm going to read this passage for you guys. Now, a little setup. Uh, Paul, when he's writing this, he is in prison in Rome. He is awaiting his execution. He's being executed because he's testifying about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, he is sending word to the church in Philippi, and they have been ministry partners with him. They've also aided him. They've, they've sent someone along. They've, they've raised money and support, and, the, and they're going to him. For us, it would be like they sent a meal train uh, 
over and, and gave, gave him food. No, I'm just kidding. They're, they're doing a whole lot more than that, guys. Okay. But Paul wrote these words in a moment of complete despair. This is not a, a, a friendly weekend. It's not some uh, joyous time that he's writing his thoughts after uh, a, a nice day at the beach. This is despair. This is a moment of hardship, and in this comes joy. So he says these words in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's honestly debating which is better, to live or to die. And spoiler alert, he actually views the outcome of both those things the same. They're the same thing for him. And here is why, and here is how. First, let's look at uh, to live is Christ. It can be accompanied by uh, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That's the old self. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. I place all my trust in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. James Montgomery Boyce highlights that these two verses are of parallel thoughts. One from the beginning of Paul's ministry and the other one at the end. What I love about that is that <laughs> it's, it's like a, a progression of thought in his life. And I don't know if you ever notice this, but like when you say something when you're young and as you get a little bit older, you start adding on to it. When you're like, this is the way things should be. And then five years later, you're like, and it also should be like this. And you just keep adding. What I, I love here is that Paul doesn't add. He actually kind of condenses down to one final point. To live is Christ. Done. It's not live for Christ, by the way. Not be about him or endorse his teaching. It is to live is Christ. That at the center of all that we do, all that we are, we find the person, Jesus Christ. He affects how we live, not we live for him. Christ is the authority of which we live. The reality that Christ is the one that actually gives us life. And through his spirit, he claims us and we belong to him. And all of this and all that we do, our lives magnify Christ. See, Christ has chosen to reveal himself through the lives of those who know him. So we must be a house. Our bodies, ourselves, must be a place where the spirit is not hindered so that we may reflect and, and have him reign in our lives. To die isn't just a task once and done. Paul himself admits this, and he continues to battle the thing that he hates. He says, I, I do the thing that I hate. Because of our sinful nature, Paul even says this in Romans 7. He says, I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. That is why it requires of us daily desire to be willing every day to be sanctified by the Spirit. We are Christ's workmanship, and he is revealing himself through us. And how we are redeeming our, and how he is redeeming our old self and molding us into his character, clothing us in his righteousness, and preparing us for his holiness. You know what the greatest insult a believer could ever hear? You guys want to know it? It's like, oh, you haven't changed one bit. I would pray and beg God if I was to look back and see 10 years ago the man that my wife married, 
I would hope that I didn't look the same. I would hope that I would be more sanctified, that I would act more in the character of Christ. To live is Christ. To live magnifies Christ's glory. And then Paul says the second piece. He says, to die is gain. And that's the part I really want to get to. Paul is highlighting two gains, actually, in this part of the statement. The first gain is for us. Paul goes further into further detail in his thoughts in verses uh, 22 and 23. He says, he says this, If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet which will I choose? I don't know. Explanation point. That's super important, by the way. <laughs> I am torn between the two. I desire to de- depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You know, the greatest day of our lives will be the day that we graduate into heaven. And through Christ, his death, and resurrection power, that's really important to add that piece. This is possible. There will come a time when we will experience his glory in all its fullness. It is a promise that that all of us who put our trust in Jesus Christ that he will fulfill. I think about that day sometimes. And if you want, just close your eyes for a second. But I don't know if you can see that glass sea that leads up to that throne. And there are angels, 10,000 by 10,000 will gather. We will gather there and we'll look at the throne and we'll see the one sitting on the throne and everyone will debate this scroll that no one can seem to open. Who's worthy? We can't seem to find one person. In death, we think will be immediate joy, but there's weeping. Revelations, it says that we will weep and weep until someone points out, here comes the Lion of Judah. Everyone will kind of turn and look, and everyone will immediately think, here comes Aslan. But we'll see this lamb, this lamb who's been slain. He'll come bloodied. He'll come and sit on the throne, and we'll all say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of the Lord power, might, and strength to the one who sits on the throne. See, I think we get kind of caught up in the gain being for us. They're just super excited to get there. I should notice that heaven isn't about us getting our own little cloud, a little box, building a little house here, starting a family, everything being great. Hopefully the Starbucks is on the cloud next over. It seems to be about this throne and everyone just kind of gathering around and it says that we will kneel down and we will worship. And that is what forever, forever, forever will be like. So I wonder sometimes, is the gain really for us? Yes, but I think there's more there. And I think there's more when Paul says that to die is gain. See, I think the second gain that he's referring to is the gain for Christ. I mentioned earlier that our greatest weakness is found in our death. It is the inescapable truth that our bodies will not, less, will not last, no matter how much Elon Musk says otherwise. No matter our efforts to prolong it, death arrives. Cower in our weakness. We hate it. Avoid it. Mask it. Distance ourselves from it. We blame others for it but we can also wallow in it. But Christ has a different view of weakness. He says, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Christ's glory is revealed most when we display our weakness. God uses what is considered weak to shame the strong, what is foolish to convict the wise. This is why Jesus actually called fishermen and had Pharisees observe. He does this so that all can see how great and powerful he really is. Christ's grace is transformative. That's what makes it so powerful. I want you to process this concept for a second, because it's been a really long rabbit trail just getting to this point. Why does Christ take on our death? Why not say, you're forgiven from afar, and then remove death altogether? Why is it still here? Because God uses our ultimate weakness to display his ultimate strength. He reveals his glorious power by overcoming the very obstacle that separates us from him. Christ defeats death. And he does this in weakness. His glory is shown in the weakness of sacrifice. Now think about this. The night before, before he goes to the cross, what did he do? He didn't gather his disciples and start doing push-ups, start working out his core. What are you doing, Jesus? I'm getting ready. Got to get my strength going. Got to have a good core for tomorrow. You're going to slice this open. He's not putting Neosporin in advance all over his body, right? He's not preparing himself for the brutal beating. He's not preparing himself for the nails. He's preparing himself to be weak. So what did he do? He prayed. He knelt down. He humbled himself. Weakness is looked at as one of these things where, you know, survival, survival of the fittest, you're not going to make it. But I think the more that we reveal our weakness, the more we'll come to understand what real humbleness is and who Jesus really is and what God thinks is real strength. And keep in mind, it's because he resurrects, because he's able to defeat death, it is his power that makes it greater than death. Jesus is greater than weakness. Now, when it's time to face death, we will not face it alone because we have put our trust not just in Jesus' name, but we've put our trust in Jesus' power. When we are faced with our greatest weakness, Jesus will show his ultimate power by giving us everlasting life. And when he overcomes my death, he gets all the glory. Explanation point. It's not just for me personally, though, right? See, when I die... There will be others watching. Others will witness and see. And when it comes time to their, their own death and they see that resurrection power, Christ gets all the glory when they see what's happened in my life. It testifies about the one who has the power. I had this weird thought. It's a bummer for Elijah, right? He missed out on this. It's a bonus for Lazarus. He gets to experience it twice. He gets to testify about it twice. Okay, so if you could imagine this chart with me. Think of a, oh, I don't know, a task chart or whatever, a top ten, something. Just a chart, okay? And at the very top is our greatest weakness. And then all the other weaknesses, taxes or other stuff, is just below, okay? But the top one is what? Death. 
And it doesn't mean, um, and doesn't that mean that if Jesus can overcome this top one up here, this very top one, if he can overcome this, doesn't that mean that he can overcome every other one that follows? Thank you. And it's interesting because these are the ones that we wallow in, not this one. I mean, we kind of freak out about it every once in a while, but we try to move it over here. But all these we, we wallow, we panic, we freak out about. Before you meet your ultimate weakness, whatever weakness you are facing, guess what? He can use it for his glory. His power is made perfect in that weakness. Whatever you're thinking about right now, that thing, he can use it. So my advice to you is this. So quit hiding in your weakness. Stop letting your weakness be left in shame. If it's sin, confess it. Repent and let God tell the story. If it's inadequacies that you don't, uh, that you don't measure up, don't withhold it from God's power to use it. You know, all my life, I have been reminded of my weaknesses. Growing up, I had uh, different things that I was wrestling with. A lot of it was learning disabilities or inadequacies that I uh, just didn't measure up to other kids or other people. People have told me that I will never measure up. They pointed to my, my disabilities, and then they told me to play to my strengths. They highlighted the lack of my degrees, my accomplishments, and encouraged me to go elsewhere sometimes. And in my belief of those things, they had power over me. And that created more failures, sins, and even more weakness. I put myself in time out like my son. I've done it many, many times. And I have failed to recognize that Christ can redeem these things. Christ can use these things. Uh, a while ago, while I was preparing this, uh, my mother, bless her heart, she gives me a big stack of all my school papers. Why'd you keep it? I don't understand. <clears throat> so I spent a Saturday going through it all. And it's so funny of all the things that they, uh, they had in there. So much of it was of their story of trying to help me uh, learn and, 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 and grow and, and mature. And there were so many other things. And I, this one that caught my eyes, they said that, that the way that I would talk, I would use words, I would use words that didn't have the meaning. They sounded similar to the words I needed to say, but so often I would say these other words. And I had this auditory processing disorder and and, the, and the, thing, the thing about it was is that counselors were trying to figure it out and, 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 and everyone was trying to be helpful. It was so great, but that wasn't what society was saying. See, I, it was awkward for me to have to go to the front of the class and have a mic recorder and place it in front of the teacher so that I could listen to the lesson later. It was weird that I, every kid saw me doodling, trying to take cartoon notes instead of writing things down because I was terrible at writing and reading. Now, I was really good at the things that I got in that cartoon, but, I, but anything else, if I couldn't draw it fast enough, I didn't know what it was. And the school system constantly would tell me that I, I just didn't measure up, even if that's not what they really wanted to say. And I, and, and I keep growing up with this thing. I kept dealing with my speech and my writing and my reading. And it, is, it has been a struggle. And yet, here I am today, in front of you, preaching, I wrote something, and I'm reading it. 
Now, I'm not diminishing hard work because there's a, there's a lot of hard work that goes into something and trying to persevere and overcome things. But the truth is, is that the real transformation took place inside for me. The real thing was the fear, the stronghold of fear that was inside of me that I was always worried about those things that people had said, those things that people maybe didn't even mean to say, but they just said it. And those things would weigh on me. But the transformation happened that the more that I had fear in, in my God, that I knelt down and I humbled myself, the more that I realized the transformation that really happened was me with the confidence of his power to use whatever I'm not good at. I played to my strengths at first when I went into film. God immediately told me, no, I want to use your weaknesses. It's not a magic pill. I just want to assure you that. It's not a magic pill. This is something we have to practice daily. We have to have a desire to surrender our weaknesses to God daily. So today, I choose to rest in Jesus' power and surrender my weakness to be used. To lay, today, <laughs> today, to live as Christ. May these words magnify his glory. And, and if these are my last words to you, if these are my last words and tomorrow I die, then that will magnify Christ all the more. I'll close with this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You pray with me. Lord, it is through your power that we are capable of doing anything. Help us, O Lord, to rely on you, on your power. Help us to let go of the things that we say are not good enough for grace. Help us to understand the worth of grace. Help us to see that you have already overcome the top thing on our list and help us not to be hindered any longer to give in to your spirit, to surrender, and allow this church to be used. In Jesus Christ, amen. For those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, this is your future. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But not one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. But then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion, the tribe, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, David, who has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw the lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which, were, which are the seven spirits of God who sent, a, sent out unto all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, 
which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests who serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands, time ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they all sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Amen.